Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series where we talk about topics of interest to our small business community. As most of you know, we've spent a lot of time in recent episodes talking about the economy. I'm going to switch gears a little bit today and talk about an acronym that was just introduced to me uh, a week or so ago, an acronym called ESG. What is ESG? Well, um, what it is uh, at its core is a reporting framework that's been adopted um, in other parts of the globe that and maybe coming to the U.S. For those of you um, that read financial statements, you'll often see uh, a lot of disclosures in, in publicly traded companies in terms of uh, their financial performance and how they operate. Well, ESG takes that a step further. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And what we're talking about here is a company's impact uh, from an environmental standpoint as the first point in ESG. And what that means is what impact do they have uh, from a carbon footprint perspective, from a land use, water use, natural resource perspective. The second pillar of ESG, which is the S, is social. And that's where uh, we're talking about a company's particular practices with regards to its employee relations process, uh, its health and safety of its uh, internal processes and products and services that it offers to the public. The third pillar is the G, which is governance. And what we're talking about when we talk about corporate governance is shareholders' rights, um, diversity in, in the board level of publicly traded companies, um, and uh, the way that uh, they um, manage their business internally. I have with me again today Chuck Lai, President and CEO of Enterprise Bank. And Chuck, you were actually the one that introduced this ESG terminology to me uh, recently. And I, I think you got some, some eye-opening information about it at a recent banking conference. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. I, I, I have heard about the concept of ESG and the reporting for, for a while. I just... Um, to be honest with you, underestimated how much momentum it has and, and where it's at in, in today's today's market. Um, a couple weeks ago, I got a call from our trade association that was telling me that the um, uh, Republican legislature was proposing some rules with regard to uh, how ESG would affect a bank. In fact, what they were concerned about is ESG would cause banks to make lending decisions or be a part of the lending decision and the proposal was basically to fine a bank for doing something like that and uh, I had thought that that was like preliminary jumping out of the gun where, where they had and then I went to an accounting seminar down in DC a few weeks ago and realized that the Europeans have already put out disclosure requirements to their public companies and uh one of the major banks uh, in our country was uh, a featured speaker and talking about how they were going to adapt to this and, and, and the costs and the significant activity level that, that, that they were uh, contemplating because the SEC has said with the current administration that it's coming out and it's coming out soon with disclosure requirements with regard to ESG. 
And if they mirror uh, what's being done already in Europe, there's some significant uh, costs associated with that and systemic changes that, that I didn't even fathom a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, we've mentioned public companies. You know, our audience here for the, for the podcast and our customer base here at the bank is primarily small business. So what does ESG mean to a small business? Well, what what I was what was being explained to me in that, uh, in, in that seminar was basically that the bank, like when the bank makes a loan to a, a customer, that uh, they get a percentage of that customer's carbon footprint. So if they have requirements to disclose how much, where their carbon footprint is at, they have to gather that information and then put it into their financial statements. So even though the small business isn't a part of this reporting requirement, it is a part of giving the information to the, the large, business, to the large business that they're doing business with. And uh, in fact, I think uh, what scared the heck out of me is that this particular bank, uh, the uh, financial person was uh, speculating that he thought at their bank, they were going to have a like uh, a carbon footprint treasurer that basically, uh, as you come into the bank to do business, uh, they'll watch what your carbon footprint is, and if it doesn't work well with them, and I guess I should digress a little bit, the way the regs work is, for instance, if, if I make a loan to you for a half million dollars and to start up a company and you put in a half million in equity, that means half is leverage and half is equity. Well, half of your carbon footprint comes over to me as the bank. Just that's because of a, a lending, lending relationship. Right. So so that's part of making up and creating what your disclosure. So it means I have to go out and gather all this information from all my clients, which means they have to tr- provide it to me. And where, they, where they're going with it is, uh, some people believe they're going with it, is is they'll do exactly what this bank had said it's going to do. They're going to have a treasurer of carbon footprint. And if your carbon footprint's too big, when I take your half, I'm not going to make the loan to you. I'm not going to do business with you. And that's the exact fear that the Pennsylvania legislature uh, people are having when they're starting to come up with laws that says, if you do this, we're going to fine you. And so here you have... Uh, one group of leadership saying you need to do this and pushing you in this in this direction, and you got another group at the state level saying if you go that way, we're going to come after you. So you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. And again, this is one of those situations where leadership uh, doesn't coordinate with one another. Everybody isn't on the same page with regard to this, uh, and some people are pushing it through rather hard. And so you're going to have conflicts here and. That's what we're getting ourselves into. Is that not inherently discriminatory based on the industry that a business would operate in? I mean, obviously, you know, businesses that uh, manufacturing businesses, energy-related businesses, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna have larger impacts. I, I would I would speculate that if the salespeople in that particular bank in that seminar that I attended heard that discussion, that. If you were in any energy-related business and you banked with that bank, you wouldn't <laughs> two <laughs> seconds later. So, again, I think this is new and everybody's speculating and it's and they're struggling with how do we put it through. Um, 
I think, you know, if you're a, a again, the, I'm sure people analyze what they're doing. If you're trying to appeal to a very younger group of people uh, and a very academic kind of mindset, uh, you're going to grasp onto this and be very pro. Um, if you're a part of the real world, uh, you're going to look back and say, does this really make sense? And is this where I should apply my resources? And, uh, um, that, that struggle has to be put in place, but that's, you know, we, we kind of touched base on the core of this when we had a podcast like a year and a half ago, and we were discussing, uh, how we entered into the country, entered into a, uh, a world type of agreement where we reduced our coal, uh, usage to better the environment, which I think a lot of us that believe in that, that global warming is taking place could, could, you know, get around and say, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. But then, you know, we did some research and we looked at it and we said, hey, the, the U.S. has cut back its coal resources a lot. But then when you look at the coal usage for the whole world, it continued to go up dramatically. And when you look at the detail, all the savings from us and other countries that cut it back India and China more than used it up and continue to have it grow. So there's been no progress in that area, really, whatsoever. So in academia, that made a lot of sense. In the real world, unless everybody comes together and agrees together, it makes no sense at all. Or we build a bubble over our countries. Well, the last time I looked, we can't have our own air <laughs> bubble and then everybody else has a different one. So until we come up with that technology, I think, again, this is a... a expensive academic exercise that probably won't have a, a real value unless you get the whole world to come behind it. It's a very good point. So, you know, with regard to the reporting requirements themselves, I would guess they're going to be for these larger companies. There's going to need to be armies of accountants, you know, doing yeah, this work. The speaker at that seminar my recollection is the speaker at that seminar talked about a European client they have. It was a very large European client and um, public company. And their accounting group estimated they would hire a thousand new accounting type employees to gather this information and write the disclosures for their financial statements. And they estimated the financial statement disclosures would be between 200 and 300 pages long. And that this thousand people that they were going to hire would just work on this year round. That's what they did. I, I kind of failed to understand how that creates a value in the real world unless everybody gets on board. Um, because, yes, you'll be able to measure what your carbon footprint is. And, yes, you'll be able to measure your you having a problem. That doesn't um, do anything mitigate well, the issue. It won't change the <laughs> issue at all. You'll be able to measure how much the issue is, but it, it won't change the issue. And, and when you look at those significant amounts of resources that we're talking about uh, in this academic kind of exercise, some of us look and say, is that really where we should spend our money? If these other countries are going to continue to do what they're going to do, it's inevitable it's going to happen. So why don't we prepare for what happens when it occurs? and be prepared ahead of time versus waiting and reacting after the fact and using all our resources to measure it during the process of time. I mean, to me, if I was going to spend that kind of money, and that's a significant amount of money, I'd be sitting there modeling what happens when global warming really kicks it up 
because that's when the real world will change. When, you know, the oceans rise or whatever those types of things, then the population's going to get mad, and then they're going to go after the leadership and they'll make an adjustment. But when you're looking at some of these countries that aren't really democracies, but they have a set leadership, well, until enough people get angry and make a difference, it, it won't change. And so that's the way the real world is unless we want to go to war with them all to make a change. And that doesn't make sense either. So you might as well just accept it's going to happen. and Mitigate it. Yeah, while they're all getting in trouble because their cities are flooded, if we've already moved our cities and already prepared for it, is that not the best use of funds? You know, here again, I'm, I'm not a god and I know one way or the other, but... I just sometimes think through these things and say we should kind of look through and ask these questions and not get tied up totally in academics, but not a, a, a ignore the academics, yeah. but, but couple it with what's going to happen in the real world and what really makes sense, this com you know combination of the real world and the academic and bring it together and say, and the high probability of what will play out, what's best. And that's where I sometimes see, I, I don't see our leadership really doing that. It's the you know one group wants to do one thing, another group wants to ignore it's happening, and the two fight, and we don't really make any progress one way or the other. Yeah. Well, you know, from the context of small business again, I mean, we've been we we talked uh, here really about the bank borrower relationship and how that can be impacted. But my understanding is, you know, any businesses within the supply chain of a large company are going to be subject to giving that large company data sure. at some so, point so, the, so the local landscaper that cuts the grass of this larger company, you know, he works all day, he comes home and he eats dinner, he then spends an hour doing all his accounting and doing his bills, and by now he's completely exhausted. Well, now we're going to have him go figure out what his carbon footprint is to give to somebody. Now that's going to go over real big. <laughs> uh, you know, um, Grassroots efforts, uh, I think, are, are always valuable when, when you know, a, a concept like this emerges but hasn't been finalized yet. You know, we had a discussion a year or so ago in a prior podcast when legislation was proposed that the IRS was going to review all transactional account data for uh, business, small business deposit accounts. Uh, and we were... We and others were, were fortunate enough to get that word out early, and you know that got tamped down, not necessarily permanently, because it doesn't seem like anything in Washington dies permanently. Um, but what can businesses do uh, right now with the idea that this might become reality in the U.S. here in the near future? I'm not sure I have a quick, easy answer for that. Um, I think the best thing to do is... Uh, for leadership, if this is what they want to do, to really educate people as to what this really means to them. And then let people make up their minds as to whether they think it makes sense or not. This is a, a, one of my things, it's a democracy, and, and life is not easy, and there's always, you know, roadblocks in front of everything that we want to do. That's just the way life is. But in a democracy, it's, you know, supposed to be the people get to make a decision. And so, to me, leadership in the country needs to educate people as to what this means. When, you know, when the SEC, somebody says, we're going to go do these disclosure requirements because environmentalists say this is the way it should be, well, educate everybody as to what this means beforehand and let all the parties think through it and work as a team to, 
again, bring academia to the real world and come up with a real world solution. Instead, we seem to have this mindset that who's ever in leadership is smarter than everybody else, and I get to dictate what it is. And I'm not pointing fingers at Republicans or Democrats. Whoever's in power it seems to think that they're smarter than the rest of the people and that they, you know, it's like when you have a law in the last podcast and we talked about a law that we put in that spends money, almost all spends money, which we know creates inflation, and then you label it. What? Inflation Reduction Act. Exactly. Now, that's not being honest with people, educating them. It may be a good reason. It may, it, may, it probably should have been done. But don't misrepresent what's going on to everybody. And I think the same thing goes with ESG. You've got, you've got uh, environmental people who are saying, get rid of the carbon footprint, do all these things. But what you're not doing is setting, well, what happened to the cost of energy? How are we competitive with other countries? What does this mean to our future lifestyle? Because you can't ignore that either. And so if you go to the American people and say, if we go to, you know, green energy all the way across, the price to run your vehicle is 10 times what it is now. Well, people need to know that to make a decision whether that's a priority or not. And right now, we don't give them that information. We just give the bits and pieces of information that we want them to hear so they make the decision we want them to make and not give them the full story. So from my perspective, that's what we should be doing. And, and, and that is educating everybody as to what these things mean. And it's a little hard to do that when they haven't even come yeah, out yeah. of the rules and they don't really involve everybody in the discussion process, only the people they want to come up with the yeah. results they want. Well, I think the warning is going to be, you know, uh, if if this comes to fruition, it's going to be, you know, talked about as being a, a burden for public companies. But when you start talking about lending relationships and vendor-supplier relationships, that's going to pull in a lot of, of businesses whose one of their number one complaints, Chuck, you and I hear it all the time from our customers, is, is you know, the burden on small business just to comply with government requirements. Um, so... You know, um, I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hopeful, but, you know, at least in Europe right now, um, this is creating a burden on a lot of businesses. Well, a, par a part of it is education. You like the example you gave. You know, for, for years, leadership has caused banks to be police people. We are spending just huge amounts of resources to look for money laundering and all these types of things and, and all the fraud and everything that runs through the system. And that means looking at your private information and analyzing your deposits and everything that's going on. Whether you want that, and there's a benefit to that, it does help to reduce those things. It also hurts everybody's privacy. When it came out that we are now aggressively looking and sending to the government every piece of financial information you have in a bank, you heard the response, no. Well, what happens is they don't tell everybody. In that case, because we gave grassroots information that said, this is what this means as a practical nature. Are you okay with this? The answer was no. Well, I think with EST, it's the same thing. What does this really mean to you? What does this mean for the price of your 
fuel? What does this mean for the electricity, the gas costs, how to keep your house warm, how to get transportation costs? What do these things mean? When you tell that to the American people, you'll find out how they feel. But we have people in leadership that push back against that because they feel they know the right answer and they have to do it and get it done. And if that means misleading, we'll mislead. So I think when it comes to us as business people, to the extent we get the knowledge to understand what's going on, we need to communicate it out there and let people start to speak with their votes and make a difference. Right now, you know, even when you look at political advertisements, how many times have you seen it misrepresent what's going on? It's, it's the normal. I mean, I've seen, I remember uh, one of our board members, Melissa Hart, who was very pro-military, I mean, very strong supporter. And she vetoed a bill when she was in office that had funding that only armored half the, you know, put the funding out there to armor half the vehicles going over to Afghanistan. She vetoed it because she said it should be 100%. You can't protect half. Yet when she ran for election the next time, they put a load out that said she didn't support the military (laughs) because she didn't vote for this bill. That has become common practice. It's like I joke about the um, the, inflate, the labeling of what the, the, the inflation bill and calling it the anti-inflation bill. <laughs> it, it, you're misrepresenting the truth to people, and people need to be educated so they understand that's happening. Right now you hear something, and you don't know whether it's truthful or not. And that's the real challenge we have as business people to get the truth out to people so they can make good decisions. Absolutely. So I think I think the takeaways are here for for you know our clientele, small business, is you know at this point become aware uh, of what's what's going on to the extent that, that you can um, you know, make your voices heard through you know your uh, your local legislators. Um, I think the biggest takeaway is for any of the parents and adolescents that are watching or listening to us, send your kids for an accounting degree. Probably (laughs) going to be a lot of job opportunities (laughs) coming up if this moves forward. Chuck, once again, thank you very much uh, for your insight. Uh, And for those uh, listeners and viewers, you can email us with any comments, questions, or ideas you have for future topics or points of discussion at Inside the Vault at EnterpriseBankPGH.com. You can listen to us on all the major podcast platforms and in video format on YouTube. Thank you very much.